Hey everyone, it's Matt. And this is Lucas. And this is Thanks for Playing. The podcast where we break down the most iconic video games the world has to offer. Oh, oh boy. Um, <laughs> we'll get into that more later. Uh, <laughs> dude, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. We... I enjoy our off-topic episodes, but I'm always pretty excited whenever we have a game episode now since that's um, fewer Once a month. far in between these days. But higher quality, I think. Um, Absolutely. As well. yeah. I think but this is going to be a long one, too. It is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So um, much to talk about. So much to talk about. And I'm excited because this is one of our last big recordings I'm doing before I go to Germany, which I'm gassed Woo-hoo. about. So this episode releases this Thursday, July 4th. First? No, June 30th. No, no, June 30th. And I leave the following week on July 7th. So if Man. any of you wonderful listeners have any any tips on where to go when I'm in Germany um, or Europe in general, I guess I'll be in that general, you know, Europe area. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, if you guys want to know where Matt is or hang out with him or whatever, he's going to be in Germany. So just go to Germany, Germany. and say just hi. Go to Germany, hit me up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, know where to get some good pretzels. Let me know. Um, it's going to be sick. You, you know, it's funny. You're a huge Red Lion Inn fan and that's like a German spot, right? Or I'm afraid. Like, I'm afraid Germany's going to ruin it for me. Yeah. Yeah. What if, what if the, the pretzel, <laughs> what do you, what do you like there? The, just the, the pretzel pretzels, with the, dip? the schnitzel. Oh uh, yeah, I was like Just the, the pretzel beer, has, has a really good uh, sweet mustard, and the beer the there is really mustard, good. Yeah. Man, we haven't been there in a while. Yeah, do they? Oh, man, do they drink their beer warm in Germany? I don't know. Ah, uh, that's me. a that's a great question. Maybe, maybe maybe a quick Google figure that one out. You know, uh, I think what's the big uh, the the big like German the Hofbrauhaus right? That's in Germany. Are you gonna hit that up? I got no idea, man. <laughs> do, do you want to give any spoilers on your loose plan for germany or you just want to uh to catch us all up when you uh when you come back oh man well loose plan so yeah we're i have a friend here in grad school out of munich so we're going to be kind of based out of munich for like half the trip um 60 of the trip and kind of just doing day trips out of there i think we're gonna do one day trip to salzburg in austria because that's really close Nice. And then we're th- talking about doing a potential just bender in Berlin one night, um, like taking a train, getting there in the afternoon and then just like going all through the night, all through the you know the early morning I and just taking this. a train back um, like 7 or 8 a.m., which I'm nervous about because I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I get some brutal fucking hangovers. I'm talking where I'll be uh, sick. You um, do. I do. I really do. And yeah, this isn't an age thing. I mean, it's a little easier now than it was when I was younger for it to happen. But I mean, even in college, whenever I would drink too much, I mean, I would just be projecting out of my mouth from like potentially I think the latest it's happened is like 8 p.m. the next day um, where I'm just like consistently I just nauseous can't keep anything down so I'm going to try really hard to avoid that this trip because I don't want to lose a day an entire day to a hangover um because that sucks so maybe trying to play it safe yeah it sucks 8 8, 8 p.m hangover that is insane I don't know if it's just alcohol poisoning at that point or what the classification (laughs) is but it's pretty bad but yes we'll be doing that and then we're spending um I think we we got four nights we're gonna be in Prague so and Czech Republic, 
which is cool. Uh, I'm from the Czech Republic. Not me personally. I am. <laughs> I thought you're Polish. Polish and Czech. Yeah, that's my mm. European roots is those two countries. So yeah, Rockavius Czech means little p. Um, <laughs> Are you serious? P-E-A, little... which is ironic oh. because <laughs> I am allergic to peas. But you, you know, you it's like say, you shouldn't say little like little p without. You gotta spell it. Spell it. You gotta lead with the spelling because it's like yeah. So that's my good. last name, everyone. Um, good luck spelling it though, because uh, I know you. I know none of you will unless you really do some digging. But yeah, well, they just have yeah, to type in I'll... little p in Google Translate. They'll find it out right away. <sighs> this is true. Um, <laughs> so now you can now you can all. DDoS me or dox me, whatever it's called. But um, yeah, so it's going to be a fun trip. I haven't been to Europe before. Um, going with a really good group of friends. So it's going to be sick. Yeah, we're excited for you, man. I think I speak for everybody, every listener of the pod. Um, you know, we'll definitely welcome you back with open arms when you get back. And um, <laughs> thank you. You know, <laughs> you know we're, we're not going to let, you know, hopefully Europe doesn't change you. I know. Hopefully you come gonna, back or, uh, the same mat, you know. But it, but if it does, I'm gonna we'll, come back. We'll like still I studied abroad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you're gonna come back and just go like, you just know what they do? And you know what they call X in Germany? You know what they call this in Europe? Like, just tell just us all Europe about. Snob. Yeah, I would. I I would personally love that. Um, like climbing is different in Europe. It turns out God of War is different in Europe. Uh, tell us all about it. You know. Yeah, and um, before we jump into everything else here, everyone, just a friendly reminder: um, if you haven't already, you know, tell a friend about the podcast. You know, let them know what's up. Tell them about the great Discord we have. You can find our Discord on our website, thanksplaying.live, or you can find it on any of our social media handles, um, whether that is on Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram. You can find us at TFP Podcasts with an S at the end. That is at TFP Podcasts with an S. At the end, as for Scandinavia, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, you can also shoot us an email. I think I said that they explain gmail.com. Leave a review if you haven't already on wherever you listen to your podcast and all that good stuff. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to Europe. Lucas went to Europe. I've never been to Europe. Getting, uh, let me. Finish. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I know you. Yeah. Lucas kind of went to Europe. I kind of went to Europe these past few weeks. We visited Scandinavia. We visited scandinavia with our greek cousins that's right everyone today we are talking about the number one greek norse kind of confusing in that regard mythology simulator 2018's god of war God, I was just listening to the the OST before we got in here. I'm just imagining it starting to play after I announce it. It's, it's so sick. yeah, we're it's playing. So I mean, getting getting that in in post. Obviously, you're probably hearing it right now if you're the audience. This is God of War 2018. 10 out of 10 from IGN. 10 out of 10 from Polygon. Uh, we got a 9.5 from EGI. 10 out of 10 from Destructoid, and a 94 out of 100 on Metacritic. One of the greatest reviewed games of all time, and truly gotta be one of the greatest games of all time and uh, highly anticipated for us to play for this podcast you guys voted on it you wanted us to play it 
Um, one of our, you know, super fans, one of our listeners of the pod actually wrote his dissertation on this game um, and provided us that dissertation as well as some notes. Just just really, really legendary uh, piece of work here in God of War 2018. I'm, I'm really, really, really excited to dive into it finally. Um, played it over the entire month of June and, uh, you know, a little bit before that. On the PS5, it's been an awesome experience, I think. I, you know, I don't want to speak too much for Matt off the bat, but um, it's been awesome. It's been great. Um, I've had fun with it pretty much pretty much for the whole playthrough, and uh, I'm excited to just get into the nitty-gritty here with, with what made it so great. Yeah, it's, you know, really kind of just a remarkable game in a lot of ways. Um, definitely a bit of a slower burn for me personally, but we'll get into that today as well. But a little bit of background for anyone that's not familiar with, well, I think everyone that's played a video game at this point is at least somewhat familiar, or has at least heard God of War. Yeah. Um, this was actually my first God of War game, but for anyone else that is not familiar, I will give a little brief synopsis here of the story, um, and we'll get into it from there. So, God of War. Following the death of his wife, or... Following the death of his wife, Kratos, <laughs> the Greek god of war, and his son Atreus begin a journey to spread her ashes at the highest point in all the realms. All the while, they are pursued by Norse gods and a mysterious man that just can't seem to die. And that is uh, that's kind of it. That's, that's kind yeah, of that's like good. a very, that's good. very basic plot overline. I was I was gonna say, you know, I feel like there's there's the synopsis for this God of War game, but there's the synopsis for God of War the series, right? And I think like so much of what this game is and what what it's about comes from just the the meta narrative, like the overall idea of God of War. This is a reboot in a way. It's a reimagining. It's simply called God of War. It's not called God of War Four in its formal title. Um, it came out many years after uh, the previous iteration of God of War when the series was kind of diving in quality and love by its audience. And, you know, they really knock it out of the park is is what the overall synopsis is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because, I mean, there's just, I mean, God of War is such a storied franchise. I mean, I think the first one came out like mid 2000s. Is that right? Yeah, I played it when two, I was. I, I, I played the PS2 version. I might have been ten years old. Uh, two thousand five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was. I was exactly ten. And yeah, I mean, had uh, PS2 was uh, many generations ago, and it's had um, you know so many iterations into the series since then, for sure. Yeah, and I, I was um, definitely not mentally ready for those kind of games yet at ten. <laughs> my parents wouldn't have let me bottom, but. Yeah, it was interesting because I was totally under the impression that this game was a reboot. Um, I thought it was a reboot. And then, you know, I start playing the game and I talk to you a bit more and you're like, no, it's a continuation. So, you know, I'm like two or three hours into the game already. I go back and I watch like a, you know, 30 or 40 minute video on YouTube just kind of catching me up on everything. And gosh, this poor man. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> he's poor, had his troubled poor, past. poor guy literally wearing the ashes of his dead original his first wife and daughter whom he killed whom he it's was tricked into killing tricked into killing okay. we should clarify yes just really really sad um but before we get into it too i just want to talk about the developer a little bit so santa monica studio is a first party studio by owned by playstation studios um first game they worked on Connecticut. i don't have too much info on that one but 
Um, other than Kinetica, their primary games really have just been God of War. Mm-hmm. They've also act as kind of um, incubators for a lot of like smaller indie game studios. One of the more notable ones he worked on was um, helped incubate was Journey, actually a very, you know, oh, cool. game here on the podcast, uh, which is really cool. I think, you know, and I'm always I love seeing, you know, these larger companies. You know, I think a lot of what we talked about last week in our E3 episode, was that last week? I think so. Mm-hmm. Was kind of just complaining that, you know, a lot of these bigger studios don't really get too creative with their ideas. Not to say a game like God of War isn't creative, but I mean, it's not like, I wouldn't say it's taking any, it's not really pushing anything artistically, I think it's fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really cool to see them supporting smaller stuff like this, um, like Journey and other games like that. They also worked on <laughs> or helped out with incubating PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. So do with that <laughs> into what you will. Yeah, that's, uh, so, I think, going to, going to be a big miss for a lot of uh, people in general. I think so. Yeah. The original Smash Brothers copy, but they've been around they've done a lot um, with obviously this most recent God of War or yeah, God of War 2018 being their most recent game. Um, and currently they are working on God of War Ragnarok, the sequel to this most recent God of War game that continues following the journey of, um, well, I won't say who that spoiled the game now, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> But yeah, and I, I think 2018 too, I, I was actually kind of blown away. I mean, 2018 was a really big year for games. You know, God of War came out, uh, Red Dead 2 came out, Monster Hunter World came out, Spider-Man PS4 came out, Wow, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, a lot of really, really big games. And I mean, clearly God of War really kind of stood out even among all that, you know, when I, out of all those games that I just mentioned, barring Red Dead 2, which kind of, Actually, I'd be really interested to play Red Dead 2 for the podcast someday. Here, the amount of detail on that is like really hit or miss for some people. But that aside, like this game really stands out among all those that I just listened and really does kind of hold its own as just this truly, truly, you know, remarkable game and like really just kind of a, in the eyes of the industry and, you know, in the eyes of critics, really just this remarkable accomplishment, which in a lot of ways, I I really do think it is. Um, Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, I think and Santa Monica Studio, just just to touch on them, um, just just an amazing team of people over there, like super, super passionate, creative people, great leadership. Um, and, you know, a lot of the information that me and Matt um, can be going over are probably going to be going over in this episode really comes from a documentary that was made on the making of God of War called um, uh, Raising Kratos is uh, a full feature length documentary actually produced by PlayStation about the making of God of War and sort of its struggles in development, um, the leadership at Santa Monica Studio. And it's it's amazing, you know, like the the main director, the, the lead director of the game, uh, Corey Barlog, um, who previously worked on um, earlier God of War games, came back for this iteration of God of War and, you know, spent a, a good portion of five years working on the development of this God of War. Um, and you know, there were times where it felt like the game wasn't going to make it. It was going to fail. Um, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot of stress on the heads of the studio who it's, it's great. Like when you actually, when these people, these, these executives like, uh, get interviewed about the making of God of War, it's like Corey Bar Barlog, the director of God of War, Mm -hmm. he like relies on them, you know, to like keep him sane. 
you know, yeah. and he like gives all this praise for the people that are leading the studio. Like you can tell that it's just from top to bottom, from the leadership at the executive level to the creatives that are making just the art and the environment for the game. Everyone was supporting each other in the creation of this game. And um, it's an amazing documentary that I cannot recommend enough for anybody that's that's played a God of War. It's called Raising Kratos. Find it on YouTube, absolutely free. And uh, it's it really shines great detail on what they went through. So yeah, uh, I, I can't speak too much for uh, All Stars, PlayStation All Stars Battle Royale, but do love Journey. <laughs> so yeah. uh, gonna gonna lean into uh, into loving Journey there. And um, I do want to mention really quickly too. I don't know if you already brought this up, but among all of those games that I just listed, um, it beat out all of those games for winning Game of the Year in 2018, which is just, oh again, that's awesome, a yeah. testament to. And, and this one, I mean, it won a lot in 2018. It won Game of the Year. It won Best Game Direction. Uh, what else do we got? Best action adventure game. And yep. I think that's it. But it, it, incredibly well received is the point we're getting across. Yeah, and totally. All we had a very, very kind of just incredible, you know, I guess, um, production process, you know, where obviously they went through a lot and game dev is very hard. And I mean, I know one of the big things you talked about too is just like, Oh, like we were working on this other big IP that we were starting to put our focus on, and all of a sudden it got scrapped. Now we're left with 100 employees that we have to figure out what to do with and things like yeah. that lead to layoffs. And I mean, stuff like that happens. You know, I um, there's so many projects that we never even hear the light of day of. You know, I um, in my in my short time, I interned at Blizzard. I mean, I can already. I mean, I don't actually. I doubt anyone would listen, but out of fear of any legal retribution, I'm not going to say it on air. But I can name at least one game that I know for a fact was in progress there and it got I, I doubt we're ever going to see the light of day of it, you know? Wow. Um, like I had roommates that played, you know, like demos of it, um, like, oh, alphas, wow. right. Pre alphas type stuff. So, um, this is, it's a very common thing, you know, and it's a very sad thing in the gaming industry because it leads to a lot of employees being displaced in the same way that, you know, once you wrap production or like once a TV show gets canceled or once you're at production on a movie, you yeah, know, it's, livelihoods can be affected. True. Yeah. So it's a very real thing. And this game really just really just have a very, incredible um story behind it i think and yeah. just a lot of love that went into it um totally do you want to jump into kind of first impressions of the game specifically itself when yeah you jumped in yeah absolutely um so i guess my initial thoughts on the game right which is what we want to get into here is you know i the, the cinematic storytelling period is is amazing um you know I, it really does feel like you're playing through a of a really great series. I mean, a 23, 25 hour long, like movie. Uh, mm -hmm. It's all one shot. It's all one moment, right? And like, you're just going from place to place and arena to arena and boss to boss and, and kind of defeating things as you go along. And it just feels like this amazing grand adventure that Kratos is going on. And like we said, you know, uh, God of War is a long storied series and has had a lot of ups and downs over the years. But uh, and I only really played God of War 1 when I was 10 years old on the PS2. And back then, um, I, I played it with uh, my, my buddy, Jeremy, who's a friend of the pod and a frequent listener here. Um, it was just a gory teenage boy fantasy back then. I mean, like, the, there's literally, like, naked women in the opening cutscene of God of War 1. And, like, you're just soaked in blood by the end of the first level like fighting like hydras and and all these gorgons and monsters and stuff and greek mythology was really in back then you know like with the movie 300 coming around and just everything was hitting for the time of god mm -hmm. of war one 
Um, and then fast forward all the way, you know, 17 years later, I'm playing God of War, the, the sort of soft reboot continuation. Um, and it's like this mature, you know, slow moving, very cinematic uh, take on it, you know, and Kratos has a son. And a lot of the gamers that probably played God of War back on the PS2 era probably have sons or daughters now. Mm-hmm. And it's just the the meta narrative, like that's the only way I could really describe it. It's sort of like Corey Bar Barlog. I can't keep like wanting to announce pronounce it as Balrog. Corey Barlog like truly understood the changes that he himself went through because between the God of War he had previously worked on and this God of War, he actually did have a son and he realized how much it changed him. And he was able to really tap into that and create this slow moving, very mature cinematic sort of idea here. I I really Uh, wonder if after he had a kid and came back to God of War, if he reflected on like the original game at all. Yeah. It was like, oh man, that Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> that might have been. I might have pushed the pushed it a little too far there. Got, yeah, yeah. The hype, the ultra violence is maybe not maybe not the way to go. Yeah. Um. So so from the beginning, you know, the game starts out with you like with Kratos swinging an axe. Um. It's very slow. You, you know, your son's around, and then you realize that like the wife died. You know, and Kratos and his son are like kind of having like this funeral pyre for his wife, and it kind of opens in this really great emotional beat. And it just feels like a one shot film. And it's so cool. Like I had, I had mixed feelings on it at first because I think for me, it kind of felt a little generic. Uh, I'm a little like, I'm a little underwhelmed by the Norse stuff. I think everything was Greek 15 years ago. Now everything's kind of Norse Viking stuff these days. And me and Matt have kind of talked about the idea that like Vikings are super in right now. God of War is probably part of that movement, um, although it came, you know, four years ago. But I was like, okay, you know, Viking thing, Norse mythology, it's like a little unoriginal feeling to me right now. But as as the game went on for the first few hours, it really started hitting where you realize like how well put together the cinematic nature of the of the game is. I mean, to the point where there's no cutscene, there's no cutscene. The whole That's game what I was is gonna say, yeah. It's I was gonna say this for the art portion, but yeah, I mean it's 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 one unbroken shot, you know, even when you're yeah. traveling, there's no like loading screens, even when you're yeah. traveling between realms, you know, it's not you don't load into a new realm. No, you like it. You walk to you the walk bridge, to a, to the bridge, <laughs> and then it has the crazy, you know, light show and stuff that goes on with the Bifrost. And then you enter into a new realm, which is really kind of didn't even really, you know, it, it was so seamless that I, I didn't even realize it until after I played it when I was just doing some more research and I read about it. And I was like, Oh yeah, no wonder it felt like such a movie. It was just very natural and organic. It was almost like, like I think I've talked about it on podcast, but like Birdman or something, you know, where it yeah, totally. felt very, uh, very alive in that regard. Um, almost like a theater piece. Yeah, absolutely. I, it's really like the whole game is a cutscene. Like the whole game is one shot. It's one cutscene. It's one moment, you know? And I, I just think that's really powerful. And the first like, you know, few minutes, you you pick up on it immediately, but you don't really feel it till like you're playing for a few hours and you're like, holy shit, like this is just this just keeps going and going. And uh, this this new set piece kind of comes up and this new moment happens. Like I remember one of one of the cool moments I thought was when you first meet Freya in the forest um, after you're running towards the pig that Atreus shoots with his bone arrow. And like there's a moment where you go from being in like a foggy forest, tracing after Atreus 
find the pig, meet Freya, and then go to her home, like go to her portion of the forest. Like, forget the name of the wood. It might be called the Wild Woods. But then you, it's all one unbroken, truly amazing, like shot. And I mean, I say shot, it's not technically a shot, but I mean, it's the only way I can describe it is one unbroken shot. Yeah. And yeah, I just really dig that whole thing because it goes, it leans all the way into it. You know, you have some video games where, you know, it might have good voice acting. It might have some pretty good gameplay. It might, it might sacrifice one thing over the other, but God of War, it's like, these are real actors. This is all mocap. These are like, these aren't even just voice actors. These are like, t these are TV and film actors that are doing all the mocap yeah. for this movie. And you feel like it's truly acted out on a stage in front of you. And well, that's just a time. testament to, I mean, you know, we're watching this documentary and all the actors talk about how they're reading. I mean, it's literally presented to them as sides, you know, as a script, right? And they're just, they're reading through this and they're like, no, this is a movie, right? You know, it's like, no, yeah. it's a game. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. And that's something that like Christopher Judge was really like, you know, caught up with. He wasn't even sure he wanted to audition for it. He's like, you know, I want to do a movie. And he gets this and he's like, oh, thanks for the movie script. You know, I know it's a it's a game. This man. is a game. Yeah. You know, I, I think above all, even above the story and the gameplay itself, one the thing that stands out to me the most about God of War really is just how cinematic it is. It, and it's interesting, you know, I've. I've played a lot of the games I do like to play personally are games that are intended to be more just story driven, kind of cinematic in a certain sense, whether that's oxen free or whether that's a game like Detroit. We have not for the pod, but a game like Detroit become human, a game like when we did do for the pod until dawn, uh, heavy rain games like that. And none of them really hit it as well as God of War do. And I think God of yeah. War deserves it. I think it deserves a lot of praise for that. I really do. You know, it's not an easy thing to do well in games. I, I think as evidence, as people that clearly go out of their way to try and do that, it doesn't work <laughs> well in games. And the fact that I got a word pulled it off and pulled it off so well and so seamlessly is just really, it's impressive. It, yeah. It's extremely impressive and makes me more optimistic. And also, I mean, the whole time I was playing this game, I, I kind of had in the back of my mind, oh, they're making a movie about this or a TV show rather. And I'm very interested to see how that TV show turns out because I think they at least have a pretty good template to work off of. With <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you could almost make the whole thing like if you just didn't have like some of the extended combat period, like arenas and like actual like the ga the video gamey parts of it. I mean, if you just string up every cutscene in God of War together, it's a pretty good TV show. Like, oh for sure, it's, yeah. it's got like a lot of great, great like great moments. It's got like good characters. It's, it already has actors actually on it. Um, and it's got amazing set pieces. It's got great art, good inspiration, original story. I mean, it's just got everything it needs. And it's kind of, it's funny, like you're saying, like I had it in the back of my head too, about how it's going to be a Netflix series. Like it is going to be a TV show, but I'm like, man, I'm playing through a TV show right now. It's like a 23 hour experience for me. Um, it's like got everything that I want in terms of like great music and great dialogue and, uh, well, maybe, maybe not the best dialogue, but you know, dialogue, good dialogue, um, but yeah, it's got it's got everything it needs to be a great TV show in the near future for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very interested to see uh, where they go with that. And I I really hope I really hope that they get Christopher Judge to. Uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm curious about that. So for those of you that don't know, uh, for those of you that have seen Stargate, the original Stargate SG-1, um, is that the original, Matt? 
Stargate mm -hmm. SG-1, right? Because then there's yeah. Atlantis. Okay, yeah. So uh, Christopher Judge is in Stargate SG-1 as a main character. I don't know the character's name. Um, do you know it, Matt? Not off the top of my head, no. So Christopher Judge is a television actor. You you know what he looks like. You've seen him before. And he is Kratos. I mean, he acted out all the mocap for go this God of War game. Uh, and he did all the voice acting. And it was a departure from the original voice actor for Kratos as well. You played Tilk of Chulak. Tilk of Chulak. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and he still looks really, really good. He's actually pretty buff too. Like, it was like, yeah, he's huge. He's like a totally great Kratos. I mean, yeah. it'd be amazing if they got him to play Kratos in the television series. Although he's African American, and you know, it's maybe not people's perception. I mean, it's not the literal like skin color of Kratos. Although he's like white skinned with red tattoos. Um, but I would love a television reimagining of Kratos as well, um, played by Christopher Judge because he did such a great job. So I'm all behind that. Um, but who knows? Uh, I, I'm, I have doubts about that actually coming forth. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I hope he does get cast. I think it'd be great. And I mean, it, Kratos is covered with Ash. I mean, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think he'd be great and I think it'd be a great casting. Yeah. Um, kind of getting into the gameplay a little bit, Lucas, what mm -hmm. do you, well, gameplay itself, you know, this is interesting for me. I, Growing up, I loved just button mashers, and that's <laughs> yeah. why I've always loved as a video game. And in the same way, whereas you know, I don't. When I was younger, I didn't like vegetables, but now I do. You know, when I was younger, I loved button mashers, and now I don't. Yeah, you know, I, I think at its core, I, at its core, God of War gameplay wise is a very, very, very basic third person action beat em up. It looks yeah. good and it flows well and it does offer a good amount of variety with how you can mix up things with like the ax and the chaos blades and with how you can mix up, um, you know, when you throw your ax and mixing in fists and stuff like that. But, 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 but there is nothing particularly remarkable we're interesting about it strictly from a combat sense, right? Especially with the RPG elements that they do throw in with such as, you know, um, like the skill tree. I know I was talking to you about this a little bit. And you made a great point where the skill tree is just very, I mean, it's not, a real, skill tree. It's not, it's not a real skill tree. You get ample XP and experience from the, just the main storyline quest to where you don't even need to do really any side quests or anything to like, I, I pretty sure I, I unlocked literally everything and the skills trees. Yeah. Even before, the even, game. even before, yeah. End game with just using the XP I had and that's leveling up myself and Atreus. Um, mm -hmm. And speaking of Atreus kind of OP. Yeah. Super OP. And yeah, you know, like, I, <laughs> this is insane. I, I, I was watching the documentary and one of the playtesters they had was just like, you know, this kid's OP. He's just running yeah. around shooting people. And especially once you level him up more and, you know, get his attack speed up and increase his arrow refresh time. I mean, you're, you're just spamming electric arrows back to back to back to back nonstop. And it's, um, yeah, it, it was just the combat was very, honestly, very easy and not really inspired in any way for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's. As I mean, as far as third action games go like this, it's good. 
but it's not like crazy in any yeah. way from here. It's not remarkable. It's, it's kind of interesting. Um, one, one thing I was thinking about, and I, I agree with you for the most part with, with everything you said, you know, the combat's definitely more of a departure. It's more mature than the previous entries in this series. Uh, cause it's not super fixed camera angle button mashy, which is how all the other God of Wars were what have been. Um, it's got like a lot more pathways to go down. It's got like really cool builds you can do tons of different armor and cooldowns. You can customize with sockets in your armor, which is like, haven't even seen that in a game since world of Warcraft. Um, and all that's really cool, uh, except certain, like literally like the runic attacks are broken. They're so strong, very, very broken. uh, yeah. literally like one of the runic attacks I just started like getting really comfortable with was just like the one where you shot like ice out of your ax. It almost like it completely melted the trolls that I would fight. And like every time a troll appeared, hit him with the like that light runic. It was a light runic attack spammed trying or spam square to just shoot a bunch of arrows at him. Uh, and he was dead in like two seconds. And it was just a little bit not it wasn't tuned completely well. I'm sure at a more at a higher difficulty, it would have been tuned a little bit differently. Um, but yeah, it's just like. By try, it's trying not to be so button mashy as the other God of Wars, but it's not button mashy. It's just kind of one level. Um, so it's not strictly button mashing, but it, in a way, it sort of is in a like in a strange way because it's, you're just going to end up doing the same thing over and over again. That's just going to win. Um, so I did find that to be a little eh. However, there's really solid like eye candy and ear candy in there. That's oh, really yeah, doing a lot sure. for you. You know, some fights were a little hard. I actually would have, you know, this is a nitpick, but I would have loved to have seen a little bit more variety in the, the types of things you had to do uh, in order to actually win fights. I thought the guys that you can only use, like, like when you had to switch between your Chaos Blades and your Leviathan Axe near the end of the game, that was really interesting combat. I thought it, like, tried to expose weaknesses for the player or certain yeah. builds that you were going for. That was a good move. It would have been <laughs> cool to see them lean into that a bit more. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen more uh, instances where like this guy only got hurt really by melee attacks. You had to, uh, you know, dodge this guy a little bit more frequently. You had to wait for certain attacks to come out and expose a weak point. Those stone ancients I thought were kind of fun to fight, but they only appeared a few times in the main storyline and they were recycled. So the first fight was like challenging and fun and like, oh shit, like this guy's going to totally kill me. I have to dodge yeah. everything. And then as soon as you figure out how to beat it, it kind of just like, it's kind of not a big deal anymore. So same thing with the trolls, uh, same thing with like a lot of the mobs that you'd end up fighting. So, yeah, I, I didn't really care for the Spartan rage mode. I didn't think that was that cool, to be honest. Yeah, it was kind of, I, I didn't, I didn't really, really, it like didn't those. really feel that much more effective than just swinging an ax. The only thing that was good about it was you did re regain health as so you hit people. Health, yeah. But as far as actual damage output, it was pretty yeah. unremarkable. Isn't um, it? Isn't it so, sorry, isn't it so weird that like Elden Ring, which basically is like two things, dodge and hit, has, if the combat feels more dynamic than this, which has like throw axe, punch, Spartan rage, Atreus, like AI involved, like. I mean, that's just because it's so like, much harder, right? It's so much yeah. more difficult, much more unforgiving. The parry time's a lot tighter. I mean, the parry, the parry timing in this game is incredibly forgiving. Yeah, um, totally. and early has like a marker for you to do it. Um, so, I mean, that said, I mean, I don't want God of War to play like 
Elden Ring. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, that's I know. not why you play a game like God of War, right? You know, I mean, I, I think you and I both had a pretty good idea of what we were getting into as far as combat. And yeah, I mean, it kind of met those expectations. So um, I, I would say I'm whelmed. Yeah, you're whelmed. I think yeah. the lesson here is that combat can be extremely dynamic, fun, and interesting even if the options are just limited to like two things, which is like mm. dodge, hit, uh, or jump, right? Like th- literally like three options in Elden Ring. That's another thing. You incredible. couldn't jump. I yeah. hated that. <laughs> Not being, yeah, that's weird, right? That's super weird. Not being able I to I also, jump. it bugged me as well that, well, it was good and bad, but I didn't like how it was so clearly marked where you needed to jump or where you needed to go over. I would have liked a little bit more ambiguity there that felt a little because when you look at a game like breath of the wild where you can climb literally everything and it's like figure it out right and then I come to play a linear game like this that's even more linear in the regards to where it literally tells me here's where you need to go walk up to and press circle to advance to the next side of the map you know yeah Uh, they're not really giving the player much credit there to figure figure things out for themselves it just was made it even more linear than it already was um there's no really yeah and it really just kind of takes away the player agency in that in a certain sense you know it doesn't really even give you the option to kind of be explore and try and be creative it just says nope here's your here's where you're going now go yeah totally i mean the the climbing and the platforming is just a non-starter it's not climbing or platforming right it just quite it like literally is not i mean you, you literally just go up to something and push the action button and then hold forward um, the climbing and the, and the quote platforming and jumping is just like an excuse to like go up the wall. Um, which is, which is kind of lame. I get it. It's like, you know, Kratos logically just needs to go up the ledge. You're not going to design a whole climbing system when the game is already doing so much in terms of like the other resources it's allocated to the cinematic feel and the cutscenes. but like, you know, it, it's just the climbing is just uh, the time for the game to slow down for a second so Atreus can say a few things and, and they, there could be some dialogue. That's really all it came down to. Um, and it wasn't, to me, a very clever way of hiding it. Like, it was very see-through because there would just be, like, some non-sequiturs that were just announced during the climbing portions. Uh, and uh, you're not climbing. You're literally just, like, going on a slow path. Uh, <laughs> going going forward on a slow path is what it com- comes down to. Uh, Matt, what what did you think of the environmental puzzles and like some of the light exploration in general? Like, you know, finding the crows or extra treasure chests and things like that. Did that do anything for you? No, because I personally just didn't feel inspired to explore in this game. And I didn't feel that any of the upgrades that I would get from that was necessary. And for me, the main draw of this game was just trying to play the story because everyone... I, I knew what I was going to get. Like we were talking about, I knew I was going to get with the, you know, gameplay wise with the combat. So I was really just interested in the story because the story has been praised just so, so much. Right. Um, yeah. Do you, you want to kind of jump in? We don't really have a section to talk about the story here a little bit. Do you kind of want to jump into the story a bit? A yeah. Yeah. Let's, story? yeah. Yeah. Let's jump into it. Yeah. So the, the big thing, you know, Lucas and I, talk a lot about stories in video games and oftentimes you know for whatever reason it, it, it feels that it's kind of hard to tell good stories in video games sometimes and we had a lot of theories as to why as you know maybe people just that really play video games don't like 
engage in other mediums. You know, maybe we're all just too big of nerds only playing video games. Maybe we're not reading enough books or watching enough movies to really recognize a good story outside of the video game model. And initially, and I know you're feeling this way in the beginning too, Lucas, the first like three hours of the game, maybe four even, I was just kind of meh. Uh, mm-hmm. particularly about the story too. It seemed pretty unremarkable. Um, Cause I mean, that's what this game was really praised for was its story. And they're like, Oh, it's this beautiful, beautiful father son story. And at, at face value, it's very much just a, Oh, wife dead, sad. Oh. <laughs> son yeah. I'm trying to build a relationship with Ugh, son. Daddy doesn't love me. Ah, you know, and it's just like very, not to discredit any of those actual experiences, but as far as storytelling goes, it's not really anything new, you know, and it's just kind of a, it felt like cookie cutter almost, but as the game goes on, the story does expand a bit more and you get a little bit more of, you know, kind of Kratos's motivations and you get more Atreus grows a lot throughout the course of the story has a lot of character development. It kind of does a 180 then like comes back maybe like 120 degrees. Yeah. He, he does a 180 then the does a, a nearly another 180. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I, I enjoyed it and I, it, it was, it's tough because especially, I mean, this game came out in 2018. So it's had so much time to marinate in the zeitgeist and be discussed so much that it was impossible for me to go up, go into this game with, without incredibly high expectations, particularly for the story. And it didn't quite meet those expectations, but I, at the end of it, I did find myself looking forward to it just to see how the story ended and kind of how things shaped out with Kratos and Atreus and their relationship. Yeah. I remember you telling me that too. And uh, I I mean, I'm just going to echo what you had mentioned is yeah, the first few hours I'm a little like not super into it, but as, as it, as the story does move forward, it does, it does become a lot better. You get more, a lot. I got a lot more into it for sure. I would say the God of war story is good. And the presentation is world-class. I think if you just took the isolated, like events of what happened in God of war, you didn't consider like the meta narrative aspect of it. The fact that it's kind of a reboot, it's sort of its own thing. It's kind of just a simple, like father, son, buddy adventure. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, if, if, if you were to just kind of uh, detach it from the series and just kind of take it for what it was, it's a pretty good Netflix show that you would probably watch in a weekend. Right. As far as the yeah. character arcs, uh, the settings and the story, all that kind of thing. Um, but the presentation itself is so, so good, like we keep talking about. And the fact that it is all that one shot. Um, it does have these incredible set pieces that do end up showing up and and really good sort of ac- blended action cutscenes that with some combat in there. So all that's really, really doing a lot for the story of the game. But yeah, like it's but for me, you know, and I think I've gone on record saying this sort of thing. I don't care about world building or universes all that much when it comes to my fiction and media like not. You know, I'm kind of out on the Marvel thing. Uh, Star Wars is getting a little out of hand, in my opinion. It, you know, just give me a good singular story. I don't care about the other mm-hmm, crazy mm-hmm. world. I don't care about interacting with another piece of fiction in my fiction, right? So I just take a look at God of War and I'm playing it, tra- expecting this experience. And y- although the presentation is solid, in fact, world class, y- there is a portion of it where it's like, okay, that was a corny line. 
Okay. Yeah. That, come on, you got to admit that was a little contrived or lame or a little forced or whatever. Um, all that being said, near the end of the game, you're just, especially in some of those climactic scenes and the very end where you do finally spread the mother's ashes. I know that for myself, I was totally in it. And I lived in that moment. I loved the ending. Um, I liked the way it all ended up playing out and resolving at the end. But there were totally moments where it just didn't hit quite that much. Yeah, I, I think some of those cheesier lines, especially in a high-paced action game like this, are kind of going to be inevitable. But by and large, I mean, I think I actually I think I'm a little more bullish on the dialogue than you are. I I don't really have as many memories, at least of like any really, I guess, lines that really took me out of it kind of suspended my, I won't call it a state of disbelief because this kind of game can't really achieve that, but it kind of took me out of the immersion. So worked for me most of the part, um, especially towards the end of it. You know, I think all the characters for the most part did offer something. Um, we can kind of get into this more with sound design, but I mean, all the the voice performances were all, and I mean, it, most are captured too, right? Yeah. All incredible. Uh, Balder, I fucking loved. Just like absolute maniac. Um, sick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was cracked. He was cracked. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I know that you love that line because you say that. You say that in real life. <laughs> yeah. yeah no, I mean, uh, we'll I, I forget what you're doing. And there's like one part where Mimir is just like, brother, you're cracked. Yeah. Mimir like- <laughs> stole the show. He was great. No, he was the art style here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I think the art is really tame at the very beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you end up going through and, and seeing some of those other set pieces, um, when you get to like the snowy area with the giant's head, when you see Alfheim and Helheim, um, the game just kind of pulls you in more and more and more. And I think one one thing that's that I do want to say on the art style is, you know, hey, we're in a world that as a culture we've been in for years, right? The Norse world, Odin and Balder and Thor, Loki, like, you know, there, there's a certain aspect for me where I'm, I'm playing the game and I'm like, okay, I already know in a sense what I'm going to be seeing, right? Yeah. I'm going to be seeing like big mountains and snow. I'm going to be seeing giants. I'm going to be seeing like perhaps the world, ser- the world serpent did catch me by surprise. Although I, I feel like I had kind of known in the back of my head that the world serpent was going to happen, but of course it's going to happen. You're in a Norse setting and you're, you know, <laughs> you're playing through like this, this mythology. So some of the art to me, uh, it's, it's playing off of what we in pop culture already kind of understand is going to be the art or going to be like the environments and things like that. So there's little room for a surprise um, that being said, some aspects of the game did end up surprising me. Uh, the snowy area with the giant's head, um, some of the aspects of yeah. Helheim, uh, like the amazing scary bird thing in Helheim that's like just watching you. I, I wanted to know. know more about that. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. I'm sure it's a Norse mythology thing um, that, I, that I actually was unaware of as a North, Norse mythology thing, but it looked really cool. Um, that was really cool. And and then when they blended some aspects of the Greek mythology within the Norse setting, it was really cool. That was like pure originality. I know it's two already established aesthetics and art styles for those two worlds, but when they blend together, it was awesome. And you actually did feel nostalgic. You felt familiarity from a player standpoint, standpoint from a cultural standpoint. Um, you understand what Greek stuff looks like. 
And when it comes into play, when you see Athena or you hear her voice or, you know, Kratos, you know, the word even Sparta is mentioned, mm -hmm. you kind of, it kind of triggers some, something in your brain where you, you feel familiarity. And I think a lot of that art that's Greek inside that Norse setting was really cool. Yeah, it um it was interesting for me too because I mean I've been so I mean just in our culture lately <laughs> in the zeitgeist of pop culture we've been very inundated with a lot of Norse stuff, um not not so much Greek but a lot of Norse and I I like I mentioned I never played any previous God of Wars I had to go back and watch a video on it so this was a pretty all pretty new to me but yeah I mean just getting that flair of Greek in there mixed in with all the Norse stuff was fun all the set pieces were just beautiful. Um, it, it was clear that a lot of effort was put into all of that. The I really enjoyed all these small details with like the character designs, like the tattoos. I would have loved to got any kind of more insight and story into the tattoos that because you, you know all the Norse characters had tattoos, right? But not they did, yeah. Other than um, his red tattoo, Kratos didn't have any, right? So I'd be curious to kind of know how that ties in from even just a cultural standpoint with Norse mythology. And I would love to know more like what the significance of Baldur's tattoos are, what even Atreus has some tattoos, right? Freya has tattoos. So I would have been very curious to just find out a little bit more about that and exactly what's going on there. Cause it really reminded me of, um, like all the kind of alchemy circles that you would see from full metal alchemist. If you ever <laughs> watched or read that Lucas, I've um, seen a little bit of it. Yeah. And just like a lot of that, imagery uh kind of is what it reminded me of and it was just it, it looks super cool like if i saw some hipstered out fool and fucking los filas walking around with a, a sleeve of just like nordic stuff like that or whatever it is i'd be like oh this guy's cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of cool so much cooler than yeah. me <laughs> yeah i know what one uh, you're bringing up a point um that like balder to me just looks like a hipster from los filas but he's he's totally a Norse God kind of a thing. Like he doesn't actually like in whatever original descriptions there are of some of these gods in the mythology, they just literally, there's no way they look like that hipster guy. Right. Like, it's, yeah, yeah. it's funny applying like what looks cool in our current culture to how they look in, in that game. It's just a funny thing. I, I remember there was like a, I forget what it was. There was a video game. might've been like a call of duty game or something like that, that took place during like world war two. But the guy had like a 2015 haircut. It was like one of the villains or so. It was like, we, we apply like what is cool or like relevant yeah. in our own yeah. world style wise and apply it to the past or something that's supposed to be myth. Um, just a kind of funny, like art style thing. Tattoos are in right now. Yeah. I mean, tattoos are been a thing and, ancient yeah. cultures forever uh That's, but yeah. but they probably didn't look as clean and cool as Baldur's did those yeah. are just like yeah. literally look like you know modern day incredibly well put together sick tattoos you know mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um and shout out to just really quickly shout out to Baldur's um actor jeremy davies just extremely extremely impressed yeah. with Super good. Everything he brought to that character, really, really. Well I loved done. his arc. I, I really ended up loving like everything that that happened to him. You know, uh, at first you think he's just kind of like this pure evil, angry guy, and then when you go to Helheim and you learn that he's actually cursed, mm -hmm. that was sick. That was a really cool reveal. Yeah, it was. Because yeah, when you initially meet him, you're like, oh, here's this 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 immortal prick. He probably loves yeah. every bit of this. Yeah. And then you realize that he just fucking hates it and yeah. he hates spoilers. He hates his mom, Freya, because she's the one that did it to him somehow. 
Um, yeah, really just a fun character arc for him and loved it overall. Um, and getting into that, going into sound design, I mean, all the voice actors were um, incredible. Outstanding. I mean, uh, Christopher Christopher Judge as um, Kratos, Kratos. Uh, Jeremy Davies Balder, um, fucking my man, Alistair Duncan, Rockin as, Mimir. Oh, okay, that was Mimir. Uh, that was great. Sonny Sulichik as Atreus. Uh, Atreus, yeah, who's Daniel actually like Vasudi. an up and coming, a mm-hmm. true up and coming young actor too. Uh, is he? What else movie. has he been in recently? Mid nineties is like the big one he was in, which was an indie directed and written by uh, Jonah Hill. So oh. you know this kid's this kid's going places for sure. Uh, he's young. He's got a great trajectory so far. And, uh, and, and he's, he's doing a good job. So yeah, man, I mean, those, those voice actors and we, we've, it's funny, we've talked about this a lot before that, like a lot of people just take celebrities and put them in their game. Like all these people completely blew Keona Reeves performance out of the water from from cyberpunk, like not even close. Like I, I don't understand how, well, I do understand, but the fact that you can get an A-lister like Keona Reeves and not crush it in your game and he's a good actor and he has good levels and can do a lot of things like the fact that you can't pull a performance out of him that is on par on, on par with atreus freya balder mimir kratos is really disappointing and it, it i don't know man like, honestly i'm not convinced keanu has that much range as an actor i think he's very uh, good yeah. at one thing yeah maybe, maybe that yeah maybe i am giving him and a that's lot of credit being an action here. action but, guy but that's why whenever I, Johnny tried to show any emotion in cyberpunk, it just fell flat. <laughs> I mean, like Neo has a lot, has a lot more levels than just action star in the matrix. I mean, I, I know that we probably have some recency bias because of John wick, but like Neo's Neo's not a bad character. It's not, I, I actually, I watched the matrix pretty recently and I haven't watched John wick. Um, <laughs> okay this is so. weird then <laughs> i i guess the point the point i'm making is you know you need a good director you need good it, it's not just put an a-lister in the game and every other performance is good like if you watch the god of war documentary cory barlog is like truly being a director in those mocap sessions he's calling yeah. action he is directing these people he he's look overlooking like this he's looking at the script he's making sure the words sound good he's making calls on set and he's directing the performances in real time. Like, I mean, yeah. Then you compare that to something like Cyberpunk, though, right? Or something like fucking Twelve Minutes with <laughs> Daisy Jesus. Ridley and the guy's name. I know Willem, Willem Dafoe is in Willem it. I forget the other guy. Willem Dafoe is fine in that, but I mean, I think a big difference too. That's something that helps these actors is, you know, this was mocap, right? There wasn't, to my knowledge, there wasn't mocap for Twelve Cyberpunk minutes. or Twelve Minutes for that matter. I. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was all just um, just voiceover in a booth, right? Which is fine, but I mean, I'm more, and I know we've talked about this in a lot of our episodes previously, but I'm willing to bet that these are just actors that are see a huge paycheck thrown in front of them for probably you know a weekend or a few few days of work, and they're like, okay, yeah, why not? I'll, I'll read some lines and. I, I'm, they are professionals. I'm not just crediting. I, I think they do whatever they can with what they have, but I don't think they're doing a lot of character study and like really putting a lot into these characters, not in the same way that Christopher Judge put into Kratos, 
not in the same way that Sonny, Sonny put, put into, into um, a trace or anyone yeah. put into any of the characters in this movie. Totally. Or, I just called it a movie in this yeah. game. <laughs> matter. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, we, we've talked before about how you, you want good, you want it. Pe- people are obsessed with using the like household name for their game voices. Uh, when voice actors are a completely different discipline and very, very good at their jobs, but God of war, the production of it, it's, it's different because these are really TV actors. These are like true movie and film uh, or film and television actors, but they did act it out. They didn't just sit in a booth. They like one of these takes that Christopher Judge did. Um, it was when Kratos pulls the uh, Blades of Chaos out of the house, like out of the basement. Like this actor is literally crying, performing the scene in the mocap yeah. stage, you know, and that's that's what you want. That's what you have to do in order to get that performance out of your actor for your video game. There's nowhere you can hide, Spartan. Put as much distance between you and the truth as you want. It changes nothing. Pretend to be everything you are not. Teacher. Husband. Father. But there is one unavoidable truth you will never escape. <laughs> you cannot change. You will always be a monster. I know. But I am your monster no longer. can't just say it's Keanu Reeves it's going to be great he's he obviously has done v, like voice acting before he's capable and he's a big name so put him in the booth here's the script right like the fact that these that Santa Monica studio went the extra mile to truly get like a movie quality type of thing I mean it's filmed like a movie I just can't get over that and that that is what it takes to pull a great performance out of these actors uh, and and it's just completely shines through the entire way through through the game. Yeah, I mean, like we said, it was it was just a very very good. And you know, I I think maybe that's something uh, something we're noticing in games, right? I <laughs> was until Don mocap. I think it was. Uh, I think it was because um, I feel like we. I feel like the actors and the the actors that played the people in Until Dawn looked like them. And like had the same like face and build, right? Didn't we go through that? Yeah, you know they did actually act out scenes. It looks like so. Yeah, I think See, that's probably a it. big thing that makes that's a, a difference is whether or not they're really engaging in it. And hey, listen, as an actor, I know you. Lo- I know you love that. <laughs> as an actor, everyone's an actor. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta pull in the physicality of the scene whenever you're doing any sort of voice recording. Uh, it's a real thing. And if if you don't act out the scene with your fellow actors and you're sitting in separate booths, just reading through lines and scripts, uh, you might get something decent, but most likely you're not you're not going to. And when you're doing something like the cyberpunk method, which is constantly iterating or making changes or the production of the game gets stalled, something has to change. What ends up happening is the takes and the voice lines and the performances that your actors do don't fit what your scene now is and your tone gets completely screwed up. But when you're doing it in this production methodology, 
your voice actors, the performance comes first. Like they had these performances down before they finalized anything with the game. This was the always the highest priority with the game. And it's worth acknowledging. I did look it up. Cyberpunk did have mocap with Keanu Reeves. Are you serious? And wow. I was just under the impression it wasn't. And um, I'm just going to say it. I don't have no excuses anymore, Keanu. <laughs> yeah, that's very disappointing, honestly. Um, 12 minutes definitely did not have mocap. I think you and no. I can both agree on that. Not the kind of game that would have that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say to that. Uh, we just kind of argued 10 minutes yelling at him for not having the, the opinion stands shitty performance by Keanu and Cyberpunk. And I'm just going to say it. I think Keanu is overrated. I enjoy <laughs> I enjoy him. Let me be clear. I enjoy him. I think he's overrated, though. Okay, fair enough. We'll take that. Uh, clip okay, that. We could, Fucking we clip, could, that. We'll clip that. We'll clip that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're an hour and three minutes, and we're going to clip that. Uh, all right, we got to Have we talked about sound? All right, soundtrack. Oh, let, me, let, me, um, let me hit the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk yeah. about that for sure. Um, composer, Bear McCreary. Bear McCreary. Um, Amazing composer. Uh, he had some really, really great interviews in the documentary for sure. And uh, I loved what he said. You know, he was toying around with a melody when he was creating Kratos' theme. And then he decided to keep it super minimal, make it a few notes because, quote, Kratos is a man of few words. Mm -hmm. And his yeah, theme yeah. should be a theme of few notes. And it's a great theme. It's very, very like dark. It, it's not like purely dark. I don't even, I'm, I'm not great with music description over here, just so everybody knows, but it's like dark, but not too dark. It feels a little bit more hopeful. It feels like it can kind of burst forward. It kind of feels brooding in a way, um, but it doesn't feel angry or, or completely sad. It's kind of like in this good middle ground, um, mm -hmm. although le definitely leading on the side of, of brooding. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just to capture the mood overall, the composer was brought in very early on the production. And uh, just sort of knew knew the franchise, uh, knew what direction he wanted to take a lot of the score, and just did a did a fantastic job. Yeah, as we always say, the bare minimum with the soundtrack and the sound design is good. And I would go as far as to call this exceptional. I thought it was great. I thought the just the game sounds were great. You know, ripping apart a Drew Drogger, Drugger, Drogger. Yeah, was yeah, very satisfying. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and you can just hear like their flesh stepping tearing. on his face yeah, yeah. Oof, that extremely was extremely well done something i loved is they actually went to iceland to work with choirs there for the recording so they could have like make sure they were pronouncing you know the um the language as correctly as possible that was uh, sick. so yeah really really well done um and yeah i mean we already talked about the voice performances a lot but they were all just absolutely incredible well done everyone and i totally bought into the performances it was awesome yeah uh, NPC award. Mamir. Mamir. Yeah, I know Mimir. we both. Yeah, yeah I, I, he's just so sick. He's so good. I like from Brother, the moment he's introduced check on that one. Yeah. <laughs> from the moment he's introduced, yeah. like there was a, I think there was a moment where they took him off. Like you had to give him to somebody. I forget what happened, but it's toward the end of the game where you leave him for a bit, you leave him before you go up to Jotunheim. Right. Yeah. Um, I could have sworn there was a moment even before that, but like I wanted him on my on Kratos's waist the entire time. I just wanted to hear what he had to say about everything. He was a perfect. I'm not sure what the technical term is for this sort of companion, but just like kind of the the smartass like 
companion, I guess. Comedic just relief, kind of. Comedic relief. Yeah, okay, I guess it's comedic relief. But I think he was just the perfect amount of comedic relief because he, from the very moment, establishes himself as a, a someone with wisdom. Like, when he says, brother, does the boy know who he really is? Like, he kind of, like, already knows that Atreus is a god from the get-go. Yeah. And, like, kind of, like... Talk, like has some real talk with Kratos like at the before he even really becomes the comedic relief which is I think perfect like he's clearly a point of wisdom he's clearly a point of comedic relief and I think it's such a good mix throughout the whole adventure and he actually ends up becoming a part in the story that is necessary for the next step like you actually need his head and a, a second eye of his yeah, to yeah. move forward in the actual story so he actually serves a function as far as the plot yeah, I, I mean, I loved him. His sarcasm was just perfect contradiction, especially when like Atreus started going in his emo phase and he was just kind of being a smart ass. It was just, yeah, I echo everything you said and I uh, loved him. And yeah, every time he called me brother, my heart brother. just skipped a beat. <laughs> yeah, I loved how they said uh, little brother or brother to people. Like I loved just that terminology. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if that was like an Icelandic thing or just like a general like cultural sort of language thing. But yeah. man, the calling people little brother and brothers is, is is dope for sure. It was awesome. Uh, companion piece, Lucas. What you got? All right, I got a little bit. Uh, this take this took me a little while actually because you know I was thinking, do I lean into some sort of Greek mythology thing? Do I lean into some sort of Norse mythology piece of work? Um, but I'm actually going into a little bit of a weird direction. I'm gonna pick. The 2005 Doctor Who reboot, okay? Because okay. what, what this God of War game is, is a little bit of a soft reboot. It's a continuation reboot. It's, a, it's kind of a weird line uh, that, that you got to ride there. But uh, Doctor Who is a series uh, that I've, I've always really enjoyed. It's a family-friendly television show that's been around for almost 60 years at this point. And uh, it had a 2005 reboot after being off the television for about 10 years, played off of the previous series very well, had the same protagonist, and uh, did, did a really good job of acknowledging it with its audience. It sort of had a lot of meta-narrative type of stuff, too, where it acknowledged the actions of the past while keeping it very current uh, mm -hmm. with, the, with the audience. And the, I understood that the audience knew the context of all the actions in the past. So for those of you that haven't checked it out, Doctor Who's a great television show. It is coming back for its next season very soon. And uh, since 2005 and its reboot. It's How do they transition the doctors? Uh, in the story, the doctor regenerates all of his cells and becomes a brand new, basically brand new person. Um, mm. Each actor that's played the doctor has had their own sort of personality and spin on it, but they're all pretty much the same person in a way. So it's like JoJo's. Uh, no, JoJo's are just different dudes, are chicks, yeah. just, just completely different people. Doctor Who is supposed to be literally the same individual just that just kind of rebirthing them re themselves, rebirthing themselves and regenerating their cells. Yeah, and like they've there's been, I think at this point, thirteen doctors, um, or there, there's about to be a thirteenth, the thirteenth Doctor. Uh, very soon. Yeah. All right. Um, so for me, I, I I did not put as much thought into it as Lucas did. All right, let, let's hear it. Vinland Saga, uh, an anime I watched pretty recently. That's really, um, it takes place in um, largely Scandinavia countries, follows like Vikings, then going into England, invading England. Um, super, super fun, really leans into a lot of the Norse stuff as it is, you know, 
Vinland's talk. I mean, it just is. Um, <laughs> what really, is really, uh, it's like a land they're trying to get to in the show. It's like, um, like the new land they're trying to get to, like the promised land kind of thing, you know, where, know. where everything's just good, you know, North America. I don't know if that's where they were trying to get. We haven't, we haven't gotten that far yet, but, uh, no, it's a really, really good TV show and, or anime, I should say, well, those go hand in hand. Um, and I, uh, something that's really interesting about it, and this isn't really a spoiler because I mean, it happens very early on in the first like episode or two, but in Vinland saga, it's kind of all about like what it means to be a warrior. And it's, it follows a son that loses his father and kind of like lives for vengeance um, from that point on. And, his father always told him like his father was like this incredibly strong man and only died like of his own will basically to save his son. And the whole thing in wow. that is like, you need to understand what it means to be a warrior. Like you have no true enemy son, you know, like kind of like, like love is one of the underlying themes, you know, and just kind of like, even if you're the strongest, that doesn't matter. You have no enemies. Everyone's human. And the anime, it's actually incredible. The, the first season of the whole anime is just considered a, um, a prologue. Really? Yeah, and then the true the true show slash manga takes off after like the ah I don't actually I'm, I'm getting into spoiler. I won't watch Vinland Saga. It's really <laughs> yeah. good. You can tell me to watch it for toes. a while. Yeah. I, I dip my toes in the manga a bit. It's very, very good so far. Um and it it really just kind of turns everything on its head in certain ways. And it's really well done. How, how much does it out. lean into the mythology uh piece of it? Or does it? Uh not too much really, um at all. <laughs> is there any sort of like worship or God? Like, did they mention Odin? Well, it's like Valhalla and stuff. Um, uh, and like, Oh, you get to go to Valhalla and like dine with Odin, you know, and that kind of stuff. Um, but like, there's no, it's a pretty realism. It, it's like a realistic take on, it's like, these are Vikings that worship Norse gods, but there's no actual Norse gods. Oh, okay, cool. Cool. Oh, that's but actually like, cool. That's, that's, it's meant that's to like, like be historically relevant. Like, a possible what could have happened during this time period kind of it's thing. not a fantasy not in the historical sense no mm-hmm. as and some of their abilities yes but their historical sense. okay no. so there's magic not magic but just like outrageous physical capabilities <laughs> okay okay that's, like like a man oh. <laughs> swinging a tree okay that's, that's, yeah. that's pretty sick oh no they did yeah. that back then for sure casually yeah yeah yeah, yeah. uh moving uh, on to favorite moment i'll go first actually on this one um because fuck you I, okay. I, <laughs> the, the moment when Atreus is in like his peak moody emo phase after he finds out he's a God and you're going up the mountain again, his character, I don't know if you picked up on the Zookas, he, he, he stops listening to your commands and like, you'll, you'll tell him to oh, shoot yeah. and he won't shoot. And then he'll just run in and like take on guys randomly. Um, kind of like really ignoring everything you tried to teach him up to that point. And I really liked that. It was a very, very good touch. Um, and I, I just loved how they kind of intertwined the story with it affecting the gameplay of a trace, just being like this obedient kind of dang. I didn't catch that. Opinion. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I, wow. I, I really didn't pick up on that. I, I did pick up on his dialogue changed on some of the commands he yeah. would say like whatever, like if he told him to like read like some text on the wall or something, 
So that was pretty cool, but I didn't notice it in the actual combat. But that is that is super. Maybe cool. I'm tripping. I'm like very sure. I was like shoot some fucking arrows, and you just was like running up and choking people instead. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like something he would do at that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Favorite moment for me is definitely when Kratos pulls the chaos blades out. Um, that's when Atreus uh, is is kind of dying and getting taken care of by Freya, and Kratos goes all the way back to his cabin uh, to pull the chaos blades out. And I thought that was just an awesome moment. There's a voice in his head. There's this really amazing transition when he's on the boat going back home um, where he's having sort of an internal battle between himself and Athena and coming to terms with his past. And then he pulls out yeah, those yeah. chaos. And it's just like a really good uh, metaphor, just a really good analogy for the past, never really being able to leave him. You know, he's, he's had these wrist guards on the whole time that cover where his chains used to be. And he's breaking free. He's broken free of those chains, but now he's embracing those chains again in order to save his son. Um, just really cool, and and really the gameplay changes a lot after that moment too, because now you have a completely different weapon that do, that functions very differently, has different runic attacks, has a different skill tree. So the game really changes a lot after that. So I think that yeah. moment is is a, is a really cool part. I think it might even be the halfway point of the game, really. Or it does a good job of reinvigorating the story too. Yeah, and like the gameplay sure. as well. For sure, for sure. So love that one. Uh, and like I said, uh, Christopher Judge was actually crying during one of the takes that they show in the documentary during that scene. Um, and Freya, actor. the actress that plays Freya, was uh, playing Athena in that scene, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, yeah, really, really just super well done all around. Um, all right, moving into nitpicks. So I have a few, I do. Yeah. I, I think the story took way too long to pick up. Um, kind of already got into that, but it took me like kind of like to the quarter mark, four or five hour mark to really get into it, which honestly for me is kind of too long. Um, in like a 20 hour game, it shouldn't take me. I don't know. Like if I look at like a TV show, like I expect to be invested in the first three episodes, right? Like it should hook me by then. Um, and I, I would say that this wasn't really the equivalent of me getting hooked as quick as I should have, but it did hook me eventually. So credit where credit's due, I suppose. Combat didn't really have too much depth, very meh overall. Um, they kind of hinted at Atreus having like a Spartan rage mode at one point, but then he like passed out when it, one of Thor's Yeah, sons. yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure they're going to explore that more in the sequel. I would have really liked to see more of it in this like maybe he goes sicko mode on Balder or something. That would have been cool to see. So I'm a little bummed we didn't get more of that. And this is super nitpicky and they do kind of allude to it, but I would have really, really appreciated if they just kind of explained how he, like the Greek to Norse mythology, that transition. Um, I would have really, he just walked, bro. I get it. But like, it was just such a casual, like boy, I'm from a land far away. You know, I would, and especially when in the past games you establish these Greek beings are the higher power, right? And maybe I'm wrong, but to my knowledge, there's no mention of Norse anything in any of these other games. It's it works, and it you just kind of got to say, okay, this is fine. Um, and I, I, even the game director Jason, right, is his name? Uh, Corey. Corey. Corey Barlog. Corey Balder, yeah, but not Balder. Barlog. Corey Barlog. Corey Balder. <laughs> I guess he was talking to some of the like higher ups within, you know, Sony and the student area thing. And they're like, so he just walks there and he just, he just goes to Scandinavia. And he's like, yeah, yeah. Why not? 
and um, <laughs> it's fine. It works. I just I personally, think if, I would have liked more explanation. If they explained it more, what like what 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 explanation would you have liked? That like he he did walk there. Like you would have wanted it said outright. Just like more of a maybe like when he reveals to himself as a god to Atreus, maybe just like a little bit more. Like give me three or four lines of boy. I'm from a land. I'm from a land called Greece, from Sparta, far away from here. I traveled here on boat. Like anything, you know. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, that bugged me a little bit when they. I realized that they weren't really going to explain it, but at the same time, like I just feel like an explanation would have diminished a, a little bit of the mystery. To, I like that there's a little bit of mystery to it for yeah. sure. Just like how Atreus's sickness at the beginning isn't explained. It's just like he was sick, and there's like ha, there's. What, what what was he sick with? Uh, you didn't catch that? The fact that he didn't know he was a god? Yeah. I mean, he didn't was, know he was a god that the entire time. He didn't know he was a god for the full, whole first half of the game. And then he got sick again. Like it was on and off was the thing. Well, he got I mean, he got sick eventually, but I, he he was not sick for the first 8 or 9 hours of the game and it wasn't because he wasn't he didn't know he was a god. He just got sick because his Spartan rage kicked in. I got the impression he would get sick on and off because he didn't know he was a god. And I, my impression was just the Spartan rage brought it back out, almost like a stress attack, you know? That's a real thing. You know, you can have, you can be like, I get eczema that's brought out by stress. Like, that's a real thing with illnesses, you know? No, um, I get that. I, I just, I don't think like, I don't know if that was the answer as to why he was in bed for like the first seven years of his life, <laughs> is that he just didn't know he was a god. I don't know if that was the outright explanation. I think it was the explanation for why he got sick then or like why he was incapacitated for like a couple hours. But I don't know. There's definitely unanswered questions in the game, period. I think I'm right. <laughs> okay. Somebody could write in and tell us. Hyalette can definitely explain this to us because, yeah. again, wrote his dissertation on this whole thing. Um, but uh, the point being, I, in the story of God of War, in this story, there's unanswered questions and yeah. I think that's fine. Uh, and maybe they explain, I mean, there's still a sequel that's we know is in the works and it's probably going to expand on a lot of this stuff. So we're probably going to end up seeing this thing, these things and maybe not answering these questions is just an economical choice to, to lead into a, a more of a sequel with more weight. Mm -hmm. So, um, nitpicks for me. Yeah. Diversity and builds and combat. Definitely my biggest nitpicks, which is unfortunate. Um, the Valkyrie fights, I don't know if you did any of the Valkyrie fights. I did a couple, um, they're side quests that are extremely hard side bosses that you can play against. And those are probably the best combat in the game for me. Um, okay. and even with some, some notes that Hyalette sent over, um, he, he, it seemed like he was in agreement with that as well as that's where the game did shine through with a lot of challenge and the combat did feel like, okay, let me try a different build. Let me perhaps swap out this with something differently. Let me play this a little bit slower. So that was pretty cool. Um, but the main storyline obviously is just easy in terms of the combat, which I think is a negative. Uh, the other thing is, man, those those troll fights were just entirely recycled. Like <laughs> every oh, single yeah, like it was pretty boring. You know, like when when you take down a troll like that's holding a big log. For the first time, it's fucking what badass. What, what was that? They're all carrying like a stone call, even just, in the different realms. Yeah, they just all had the same thing. They just all went to the same blacksmith, I guess, and just had the same thing. Uh, <laughs> when Kratos takes him down, he like jumps on their head. He punches them in the face. 
He stabs him in the face with an axe, pulls him to the ground, and then brings the big log on top of their head and kills him, right? The first time that happens, that's awesome. The 20th time it happens, it's like, okay, here's the part where he jumps on his head. Okay, yeah. here's the part. Where he... It's like the same animation replayed over and over. It's old. That was kind of whack. Yeah. And then, again, like I said, the same thing about the Stone Ancients. That it was a really, really fun, challenging new enemy type mini boss that came around. And then the fifth time it happened, it was kind of dry and it was easy. So uh, nitpicks there. And then my last nitpick is, and this is just the third person camera quirk that you got to deal with sometimes that camera was all like not great sometimes like sometimes when the arena was small kratos literally took up like a little bit more than half the screen and you just couldn't see shit and you just like spammed attacks until you got out of a corner and it's the kind of the third person camera weakness it is what it is it didn't happen super often for me but there were moments where i was like fuck like get me out of this corner (laughs) or like you just kept spamming dodge so you can see because you couldn't even see anything. Yeah. Yeah. Like we said, gameplay left a lot to be desired. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, Lucas, does this earn your, well, first off, I mean, would you play the games from this developer? Yes. Um, definitely I'm, I'm definitely going to check out Ragnarok and, uh, yeah, I think you will too. Uh, Lucas, does this earn your seal of approval? Absolutely. And it also earns my Segoy of approval. But I will say with the caveat, did not live up to the hype gameplay-wise. Mostly, but not totally lived up to the hype story-wise. Great. Um, an example of a game that does live up to the hype is Disco Elysium. I've been dipping my toes back in Disco Elysium a bit. I've been bouncing between that and Persona. Um, I want to try and do a, a playthrough where the character is just like a complete idiot, but like just huge. So I might be doing <laughs> that next for fun. But... Um, Cool. So, Lucas, you want to give the rundown on our ratings? Yeah. So uh, now it's time for the score. Uh, so for those of you that uh, are new to the podcast or, you know, haven't heard a game episode in a while, Matt and I both give a score out of 10. We add up these scores out of, and that becomes a score out of 20. Uh, so, Matt, let's give our final scores on this game. Three, two, one, nine. Eight. I knew you'd give it an eight. I knew you would give it an eight. I wanted to give it an eight and a half, but we don't do that here. We don't. We don't. That puts this at, uh, let's see, eight plus nine, carry the one, 17. Okay, so God of War for this podcast is a 17 out of 20 on the thanks for playing scale. And, um, you know, I, I, I think for me, everything's perfect about the game presentation wise and, you know, Sound design-wise, art design-wise, just the gameplay and the combat is really lacking there. I would have liked to see just just a little bit more diversity in in what you can do in the combat. I mean, the combat's probably... It's half the game. So if you're having repetitive, boring combat... um, It's you're going to have half the game be repetitive and boring. So that's just what it comes down to. Yeah, I echo a lot of what you said. I mean, I was honestly bored with the gameplay halfway through. That's kind of why I dropped it down to an eight. If I was only looking at the story, I'd probably give it a nine. But I wasn't only looking at the story. This is also a game. (laughs) And it was also, you know, it's one thing if a game is solely focused on the story and doesn't have a lot of gameplay. Take a game like Journey or even a game like Until Dawn or Oxen Free, whatever you may want to, any of those games, right? That's forgiven. But like this game, a big draw of it is supposed to be the gameplay, the hack and slash, right? And 
at least for me, I just didn't care for it too much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, one, one thing before I go, um, you know, I've been mentioning, uh, Hyalette, who is a super fan of the show and listens to all of our episodes is in the discord server. Um, just a shout out, you know, Hyalette sent me a lot of notes and takes on, uh, on how he views the game in anticipation for this episode and really helped formulate a lot of my thoughts, um, on the game and sort of its context within the God of War series. And I mean, literally, uh, did a dissertation involving God of War, uh, which is called Examining Authorship and Identity Through the Player-Avatar Relationship in Video Games um, at the San, at San Francisco State University. So, you know, I, I you know, Hylette, apologies, I could not read your entire 86-page dissertation in time for this podcast episode, but I do want to acknowledge the fact that you made it, it exists, and you sent it over and uh, we we super, super appreciate it. And, you know, if anybody listens to the episode and, and you're curious, you know, you've probably seen him in the Discord, uh, shoot him that DM and uh, he can give you uh, all the content you need in terms of academia, God of War in academia. Big shout out, Hylet. You're a real one. We need you. We need more like you. Anywhere yeah. you can find us in Hylet is in the Discord, everyone. As always, you can find our Discord on our website, thanksforplaying.live. You can also find it in the link tree in any of our social media handles, at CFP Podcasts. That's at CFP Podcasts with an S at the end. Um, as well, you can choose an email at thanksforplayingpod at gmail.com. I will personally send you an invite to the Discord. Uh, we're on Good Pods now. Uh, I want to mention right. that really quickly. Still kind of learning the ropes of that. It seems like a cool podcast community. But... Um, I'm, I'm kind of getting the vibe. It's almost like a Twitter for podcasters is what I'm getting at. Um, so it seems pretty cool. So if you're on, if you're on, um, good pods, you know, go leave a review there of the show, I suppose, and follow and coming out, uh, see what's cracking. It's going to be a good time there whenever I figure out what the hell I'm doing on it. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, if you want to hang out with your good buddy, Matt, you can find me on Twitter at good idea. Matthew, you'll usually find me complaining about, um, the state of us men's soccer and occasionally women's soccer as well. When I do choose to tune in, actually, there's not really anything to complain. They're really good. They're really good. Yeah. Really good. And Did they like destroy is, Columbia the other day? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And our men's team is just very, very mediocre, but <laughs> I am invested no matter what. And I hope for nothing but the best. Uh, we're, we're, we're rising above mediocrity a little bit now, but, uh, yeah, triple G, baby. The, triple G, uh, the best place to hang out and find me is definitely the discord though. And Lucas, where can the good people find you? Uh, feel free to follow me on Instagram at good idea, Lucas, uh, or on the discord. Feel free to, uh, hit me up about anything related to video games, magic, the gathering, um, film, movies, music, all that good stuff. I am also on be real. Uh, be real, the brand new social media where you can be real, uh, no free ads. This is, uh, they're not paying us to say this. I just, uh, sent a link over to Matt to sign up, but, uh, hit me up on be real. If you haven't heard of it already, it's a super fun social media app where you have a two minute window to make a post. And it's literally just a photo, uh, that's taken of your front camera and your back camera of whatever you're doing at the moment. And only your close friends can see it. So Obviously, I'm posting some really hilarious things on there for the homies. Yeah, excited to jump in there and see what's cracking on that one. Uh, all righty, Lucas, got anything else for us? That's all I got. All right, everyone, this has been. Thanks for playing. Catch you next time. Scooby Bop. Thanks for playing is a production of Good Ideas Only. 
Your hosts are Lucas Luna and Matt Rockaby. Our music was done by the impeccable Samuel Luna. And our logo design was done by the talented Isaac Palestino. Special thanks to the Roll Call Bunch and Red Circle 